What's up, y'all? Dez here bringing another episode of the Creative Power Hour from Marcus Whitney's Audio Universe. Now, today, Marcus sits down with the new CEO of the Nashville Soccer Club, Mr. Ian Ayer. And he tells his incredible story of growing up in Liverpool, England, and how he became the chief executive officer of a major league soccer team. Check it out. This is Marcus Whitney's Audio Universe. Like you gotta do the work. You gotta show up and just do the work. Welcome to another episode of the Creative Power Hour. I'm your host, Marcus Whitney, and my guest today is the icon, Ian Eyre. What's up, man? Good to see you, man. Yeah, you too, man, you too. You've been traveling a little bit, yeah? Yeah, always. Um, it's the nature of the job, really. I've just been in Europe, uh, a mix of... Um, you know, work, uh, players, all that type of thing. Sure. And then a uh, little bit of holiday back home. So. Nice, nice. Yeah, awesome, good. awesome. So uh, you've watched a couple of episodes, so you know how the show goes. We uh, we start with an origin story, and I know a little bit about yours, but not that much, so I'm super excited to hear this. Okay, well, I guess, um, I mean, origin for me, I grew up in Liverpool, England, and, and tough city, you know, tough neighborhood, tough school, all, all the difficult things that, that – you know, I think really shape you in life, but for me in a good way, you know, I think that when you grow up in that type of tough, quite impoverished sort of neighborhood, it kind of gives you some life, life lessons very early on. But, but one of the things that really stood out for me was I could see that I needed to get away from that. Not, not, I, I love being from there and, you know, and I ended up going back there, which I'm sure we'll talk about, but, but I, I needed an escape route at that time. It was the seventies, winter of discontent thatcher strikes nothing good really yeah, you know, and, yeah. and apart from the the soccer um, oh, okay <laughs> yeah but um so for me the the outlet really was the military and that was really changed my life you know it gave me a whole bunch of life lessons a whole set of values a whole set of disciplines and actually you know for a lot of people i think what i learned in that an awful lot of people either never learn or don't learn until much later in life. Mm-hmm. I was 16 when I joined. I was about to ask you what was the yeah, age. Yeah, 16. Wow. So went straight from high school in, in England, finishes at 16, then you go to um, you know, next level and then, and then college or university. I was like, I need to get out of here. And I went at 16 and I loved every second of it. You know, it was- how, really quickly, how did your family respond? I mean, what, what is the, what's the societal view of the military in the 70s in in England what what yeah i guess it was it was mixed at that time I, for me it was an easy one my dad was in the military okay. my grandfather was in so we're a military family okay. and, you know okay. and, my, and actually my youngest son is just heading down that route right now which i feel very proud That's of amazing. so so and it's a different world today than probably it was in in the late 70s but but from a family perspective very supportive i think there was mixed views. You know, I mean, I'm probably the most unluckiest guy in the world. We hadn't been at war since 1945, and I joined, and the Falklands came. You know, there was the Northern Ireland conflict going on, the yeah, Gulf War. Right. So, so maybe I didn't really bring much luck to it, but <laughs> I was in, right? And, yeah, and that's yeah. how it goes. Yeah, that's that's amazing. My 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 oldest son is uh, is in the Marines now, and, and incredibly proud of him. Okay, so 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 you go in and and this experience is, is shaping your life. Give me an example of some of the some of the, the lessons that you learned then that you know had you not gone in, it, you would have gotten way later in life. Yeah, I think in particular that, you know, there's that whole, 
you know, everyone's seen the movies, like Full Metal Jacket, right. where they really beast you, right? But And you think at the time that that's just about kind of shouting at you and making you put you through a different... What it actually does is it puts you to the edge. You know, it, it they use sleep deprivation and other tactics to really get you to see how far, as much for them as for yourself, right. you know, how far can you really push yourself physically, mentally? And what comes out of the other side of that is you have this whole set of tools of like, actually, that's not as bad as I thought. And reference points, so perspective on things. Yeah. You know, people often say to me in the job I do today and have done for many years, you know, you always seem so calm about this. And when you've been down those routes, you're kind of like, hey, man, this is soccer. Nobody's going to die <laughs> right. here today, right? right? You know, And so it's it gives you perspective. That, that was the biggest thing for me, self-discipline. Um, you know, you're working in very confined spaces and quarters with other people. So you learn not to judge people. You learn that whatever happens, you're going to have to rely on this other person. Mm -hmm. so, so in terms of managing teams of people, you become very aware of, you can't make a snap judgment on somebody because of the way that, because you might need that person. Yeah. And that's the same in business, right? It's absolutely you know, so, true. So lots of different lessons that even at the time I probably didn't realize, but you know, I get to like 21, I've been doing this thing quite a while, right? At 21. Yeah, yeah. So I, all of a sudden I have some tools and skills that most 21 year olds, you know, still not even close, still kind of traveling the world or spending mom and dad's money or whatever. And I was, kind of living in my own place, living my own life, earning my own money, and with this amazing set of tools yeah. to work and, with. And so did, did you learn any particular skills while you were in the military? Yeah, so that, I, specialized in, I specialized in communications. Um, communications more in electronic-type communications yeah, right. rather than PR or, or what have you. But So that was good for me, good technical skills, and you know, learned a lot. The advent of kind of satellite communication towards the end and those types of things. So... So I had a trade as such, um, but really for me the the real value of it was the was the management element and the and the team element mm -hmm. and the you know the camaraderie elements. They were the things that you know kept me going. You know they were the things that this is why I love this. And 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 ironically, if you think about what I do today in soccer, you know that's it's the same as being it a soccer player, feels right? Exactly the same. Yeah, it's the same. Yes. It's just different. I just wasn't very good at soccer, but. Yes. But the, but the tools and the experience, you know, the camaraderie of being in a team, training together, working together, sleeping, eating, you know, being on the road together, they're very similar. And so probably without design is, you know, probably something that gravitated me towards it yeah. in the long term was, was that experience. So so you get out at 21. Uh, had you done no, I didn't get out at 21. I, oh. no, I had 10 years. So, oh, wow. Yeah, I was well, in fact, I had 11 years, so I was 27 when I left. Wow, wow. Okay, so, so when you signed up, how long was, was your commitment, your first commitment? So it, it, you, you can sign in different clubs. I signed for, um, I did a 10-year stretch okay. initially. Okay. Now, you can, after the first three years, I don't know if it's the same today, but in those days, after the first three years, you could leave by giving 18 months notice to okay. leave. I did 10 and said, you know, I'm kind of, at that point, my life was changing. I was a, you know, 26 year old. I'd, again, it was, it was a very similar pattern for me throughout my life. It was like, okay, not challenging enough now. That for all the good that I took from it, it was very regimented in terms of um, uh, 
progress and acceleration in rank and things. So you hit a wall where they say, okay, now you need to do that for three years. I was like, man, I can't, right. I can't yeah. do that for three years. <laughs> I, I need to go to the next one. You yeah. know, I need to get through the next gate. And um, so for me, it was like, okay, I need to apply this elsewhere yeah. and get away from it. And, and did, you, did you deploy yeah, yeah. quite so, a bit during that time? Yeah, yeah, all over. I mean, a mix of conflict deployment, so... You know, I was I was in I served during the Falklands War, okay. Northern Ireland conflict, uh, some of the stuff that's going on around Iran in Straits of Hormuz wow. was going on then. We we did that. It's called the Armilla Patrol at the time. Um, was at the Mexico earthquake disaster relief. Wow. Uh, worked on the illegal immigrant uh, squadron in Hong Kong when China was still closed to Hong Kong. So. People, a lot of smugglers, uh, Vietnamese boat people. So, a real broad mix wow. of experiences. I mean, that's multiple continents. Yeah. So, you saw, uh, did you get to engage with soccer at all in those different deployments? I, I played. So, I, I, you know, I was never good enough to play at the level that, that we know um, and now working. But uh, I played. You know, played for every ship I served on. I played for the team. Okay. Um, you know, was reasonably good player and, and quite well accomplished at school. And then right towards the end of my time, got an opportunity to play a bit in Hong Kong, which was my, my one of my final postings. So a kind of really good standard. And, you know, suddenly realized I might be better than I thought. But <laughs> at this point, I was 27 and uh, yeah, getting yeah. too old for it. Right. So, so I'd like to think I could have been awesome if I'd have, <laughs> if I'd have done it a bit earlier, but sadly not. So, yeah, okay. Yeah. So, okay, that that's fantastic. So, so you get out at, at twenty seven, is that right? Mm. And what do you, what do you do? You've now been on multiple continents, been through these different yeah. conflicts. I mean, you've seen the world in a very, 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 very uh, clear eyed way. I, I would say, right? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. like you you've seen some of the best and the worst in in humanity. I would imagine. You come out at twenty seven. I mean, still a very young person, but a very developed person. What what go, what happens from there? Yeah, for me, it was I needed a challenge, but at the same time, uh, one of the things that I'd learned from speaking to other people was that the um, the transition from military life back to civilian life can actually be really tough. Yeah. You know, so, and we read, you know, you read and continue to read lots of really difficult stories about guys rotating back into real life and you know all sorts of mental issues and and whilst I didn't feel like I was challenged in that sense I what I did see was that that you really need to look for something that isn't a complete removal from what you're doing so so my channel for that was really to look for something in the technical space that I'd been in okay I actually found out there was um there was a tv station in the not in Liverpool but in the UK that was kind of looking for some technical people. Okay. So my was initial it the, was it in the north? It or? was in the north, okay. yeah. So it was in you know it was in the in the frozen wastelands of northern England, and <laughs> it, it was in a place called Yorkshire Television. Yeah. Okay. And I managed to to get you know very low level job, but working in the IT section essentially doing like kind of help desk type, you know, going fixing people's PCs yeah. and issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I always you know with the greatest respect to them. I, I, I loved that I had the opportunity. I was very excited about it. But I knew it was a kind of step. It was a step one foot out of the military right. into, back into civilian life. And then let's see what happens. And, 
and it was great time. I had great fun there, and and actually happened upon another organisation that was like this very entrepreneurial um, electronics manufacturing business called Pace. So so they at the time were developing, unbeknownst to a lot of people, were developing the first digital set-top boxes which would go right across the world. And I mean, you know, I think I was at something like employee number 25. Wow. And the company, you know, 10 years later was, you know, did an IPO of nearly a billion dollars. Wow. So it was such a crazy place. And And I, I you know, I should never have got the job. Yeah. Completely underqualified. Did you stay through the IPO? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I was I was CEO of the Asian business. Oh, okay. So I so kind of jumped. Uh, yeah, I kind of. So jumped it was ahead. like it was like this crazy sort of you know that only can can only happen with real entrepreneurial yeah. leadership. And the guy we had was a complete maverick, like a maniac. You know, like wow, awful to people most of the time. Sure. Yeah. But yeah. a real visionary. Yeah. And I learned a lot from him, really good, and a lot from him, really bad. Right. You know. Right. But, but again, learning all the time, and yeah, yeah. you know, I think how old how old was was he? I mean, so how he old would you have were. been yeah. So he would have been about I'm gonna say he was 20 years older than me. Okay, no, maybe, maybe so. I was 27. Yeah, he would have been about 20 years older. So he than wasn't me. quite 50, but yeah. Okay, so, so but, he was like late, driving, mid to late 40s, 40s, I would yeah, say. Okay, and you know, like two years into this job, I'm doing like some. I was doing sales for some professional product section and you know, again, you know, <laughs> just happened into that opportunity. I mean, I had the technical skills and was learning the sort of sales element. And he kind of calls me in one day and he's like, hey, you spent some time in Hong Kong, right? In the military. I was like, yeah, yeah. Okay, you need to come on this trip. I went on the trip with them and he's like, what do you think about what we're doing here? And he's like, I was like yeah, you know think you could do this i knew a little bit about yeah. the territory and then it, right and he's like okay we would like you to come and move here and and like set up our operation wow like wow how does that happen you know and again you know drawing back to my military experience okay let's assess the situation yeah let's look at the opportunity let's think about what I might be able I mean, to achieve. You're actually incredibly it. well prepared for this. Yeah, but you don't. But you don't you think don't, so, don't right? Yeah. I'm thinking like this is a total punt for him. <laughs> Probably was, but but you know, I I I I always say to my kids, and I've continued to say to them and other people, is you know when opportunities present themselves, some people jump in with both feet and grasp it and have a go. And you know what? You've got to be prepared to fail. But some people never take the jump because they're too nervous or too much at stake or they think they're risking too much and this was one of those it was like move to a country you know take on a new role <laughs> completely out of your depth but but the guy giving me the opportunity you know i know from later years he saw something i guess and mm -hmm. was like i know that i can trust you right. i know that you'll give me 100 and if it fails you know what we'll try again with somebody else sure so, sure um so yeah it was exciting amazing so how long did how long did it take from you being the 25th employee to this ipo how long uh, did that run almost exactly 10 years okay so another 10 year another cycle 10 year run. so wow so that's a, that's an interesting number in in my career but so 1996 we do an ipo on the uk stock market um i'm gonna say asia which i ran was 40, 45% of the wow. total value. We had manufacturing in Thailand, 
and India. We had distribution across the whole of Asia. We were the, f the first the first two ever digital television services in the world were in Thailand and Australia. Wow. And we had 100% of the supply. Wow. Uh, and I just want to make sure I understand this. As CEO, you weren't just basically running on the ground sales because you had manufacturing there. You were, you, yeah, you so were, I was, you were running Yeah, so, so we had much cleverer people than me running the factory. But, yeah, I, was, but, you but were, I was responsible for the whole you, right? region. Yeah. For the whole region. So everything. And, and you know, but, but there were subcontractors. So, so, you know, we were managing yeah, I, I their space. So, okay. but, but it was just an amazing time. And, and again, you can only do that stuff in entrepreneurial Yeah. Uh, arenas you yeah. know so our competitors at that time were people like sony matsushita fujitsu philips wow so big big electronics companies the difference was we could do stuff that they yeah, couldn't do right. and i don't mean do stuff technically no do stuff quickly yeah. make decisions quick right entrepreneurial environment totally right so so when somebody's trying to launch something that nobody else is quite sure might work or not you know, entrepreneurs dive in and make things happen. Yeah. And big, clunk, clunky organizations struggle to get to that. They get there when the value is there and when the volume Whenever, when, is there. When, when all the risk is removed. Yeah, when the scale is there, they right. just kind of hoover up all the companies. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but we, you know, I just loved being in that moment and it, it was incredible. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. So 96, you do the IPO. Do you hang around for, for a little while? Because everything will change when a company goes public, right? So the maverick entrepreneurial chairman, uh, who was a genius, you know, suddenly became, from being the ultimate <laughs> dictator, became responsible to a board of shareholders. Right. That doesn't work. Nope. So he was gone, I'm going to say, within 12 months. And it kind of wasn't the same. Yeah. Right? You know, it's yeah. like That's there was it. a small group um, of us, you know, different people running, guy running the U.S. business, guy running Europe, who were kind of his team. You know, that was like his little herd of people who he kind of would push everything through. And it just wasn't the same. And yeah. And... I felt okay. This isn't for me, and and um, I actually left. So again, ten years. Came back to to the UK, and kind of got involved in a couple of small businesses, just looking around. Still not really sure. And then the same guy, the the chairman, calls me, uh -huh. and he says, um, "Hey, listen, you you know you love soccer, right? You know, or football as we the call it." Football, and right? he's like, "I'm like, sure, yeah." And he's like. Yeah, I'm thinking of buying a team. I'm like, what? <laughs> I was like, why? And he's like, I just, you know, feel like it'd be a cool thing, buy a team. So I was like, okay. And I mean, what says, do you do after your IPO? Yeah, exactly. What are you going to do with yeah. your money, right? So, so he comes up with this crazy idea and he says, okay, so here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking you go do all the due diligence, find me the right team, uh, and then you run it. I'm like... I don't know anything about running right. a soccer At this team. point, you've only ever been a supporter. <laughs> been a supporter. You played, I played a you little. Played, you played but, in Hong you know, Kong, right? Not yeah. good. <laughs> and so I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to wow. do that. That's like way out of my comfort zone, yeah. you know? And he's like, no, I'll give you like 25% of the stock. You know, you go do the work. I'll put the money up. I'm thinking like, okay. Right. Why not, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I spent best part of a year, I suppose, um, doing that work, you know, looking with him and with others, you know, advisors and stuff, um, really trying to find the right team. And we and we, we, we bought a team called Huddersfield Town, which yeah. is a northern team, 
recently sure. in the Premier League. Yeah. What 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 uh where, where were they at that time? They were in the championship. In the championship. Yeah, okay. so in the championship. They, they kind of stay in the championship. Yeah, yeah for a long time. Yeah, for yeah. a long time, and they've you know they've gone up and down since, but but it was it was exciting. You know, again, it was a challenge, right? So yeah. so I could have looked at it and said, which, which I kind of did at first, and said like. Started questioning myself, you know, <laughs> are you completely crazy? You've right. got this potentially great career to continue in the electronics industry. Had some nice offers from bigger organizations, to, but then I was like, yeah, well, you know, it's kind of more of the same. Yeah, yeah. And eventually I said yes, spent the time, found the team, and then really a little bit like landing in Hong Kong way back before, you know, pace. Okay, how? Where do we start? You know, learning on the job and getting stuff done. But, but when you, I, I, this, I don't want this to sound disrespectful to anyone who runs any business, but they're kind of all the same. Yeah. Right. You've got people. You've got products. You create a culture. Well, I, well, I, and, I was and, about to ask you a question about that uh, because I, I have this weird feeling, and it's it's totally based on not actually living in the in the country and seeing it mostly through TV and traveling there and kind of you know uh, English football culture to me is it's a it's like a mystical mythical thing right you know what I mean and and uh, there, there are some other things like that in the world but it's it's been around for centuries yeah, yeah centuries and and uh, and so I guess my assumption is where it gets different from a technology platform that you're rolling out and you're sort of innovating into the world, is you're going to Huddersfield Town like this is people's pride, you know? Totally, this, it's like this, a, is, this is it's like a religion. well, you know, the, it's, like the, the, a, it's an inter really interesting point because I'm going to say in 2010 or 11, the UK government classified all soccer teams as community assets. Yeah. So it doesn't mean that the community owns them, right? But they, but, but they have they some have, kind of say because the, they started yeah. seeing. And and part of the reason for that is that you know when I was at Liverpool, which would come on to, but but part of what I started to see because it's just another scale altogether. But even at Huddersfield at the time, is that the 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 people in those towns who support and cities who support those teams, it's kind of everything to them. Absolutely. Right? So it. You know, we used to used to use this thing where we'd say like the people at the top of the food chain, it's really important, and they go every week, and they buy their ticket right. and they go with it. But at the bottom of the food chain, it is everything. It's like it changes their mood. It's it's the one thing on a difficult week with you know low income or whatever it is or whatever problem you might yes. have, it's the thing that drags them up on a Saturday, and if you win it kind of heightens their day, their week, or whatever. And if you and lose... And if you lose, you're you know, back it, in a hole. But, but, it, but it's so emotional and it, so it tribal is, and is. means so much that, that you, you know, when, when we got there, it, it was about treading that fine line, which is very different to the to one here, but treading that fine line between we need to bring this into the you know, 21st century... Sure. But at the same time, be respectful of the history, yes. and, and that's the challenge in particularly in European soccer, yeah. and particularly in English soccer, yeah. where or British soccer, where where it's so indoctrinated and integrated into the society 
that you got to be careful that you don't mess with it. Right, so, right. So it's it, it's not something you're a fan of. It's and, and it's not even quite a supporter. It's literally I, part of the identity oh, of, totally. of, of, the, yeah. of the people, right? Totally. You know, I, I, I yeah. learned that and I went to an away day to see Spurs play Sunderland. And you know, it was you know, Spurs is one thing. It's a look, it's a it's a big club. It's yeah. got the NFL playing in their stadium, blah, blah, blah. You know, you go to Sunderland, which they did that in fantastic Netflix documentary yeah. about, and it's like the club is the Everything. town. Yeah, that totally. the club is the town. Totally. Period. And the story. You know, it's the talking point. You know, it's, it's everywhere you look. Yeah, totally. You know, and, and so yes, that that I just wanted to ask you about that because for me, uh, that would be the scariest thing is not having you know, I, I don't know, maybe you, as you, you'll talk about Liverpool, but, you know, maybe having lived there or not having lived there, just knowing if you go there and you do acquire this club, you're, you know, you're largely responsible to oh, these yeah, people for, for their identity. I had this really uh, weird situation as well. So I think about a year in, uh, we play in the first few rounds of the FA Cup, Huddersfield. Yeah. All good. We win, so we're on a little bit of a run. Yeah. And then the big draw, you know, the Premier League yeah. teams are joining and they pull them out, you know, Huddersfield Town will play Liverpool. So, so I'm <laughs> completely conflicted, uh-huh. right? So been a Liverpool fan for at that point in time, probably about forty five years. Yeah. And they're playing my team. I'm so so like the media love it, right? So they're like, Who do you want? Yeah. I say, Listen, I, I want Huddersfield to win because that's, that's who I am. That's yeah. what, but the good thing for me is whoever wins, you know, I've got a winner in the game. Right. And, and people, I didn't want to do that. that. Yeah, I didn't want to do that crass thing of saying, oh, I don't care about Liverpool that's anymore. Right. I'm a Huddersfield fan. That, that's, that's just nonsense. And, you know, we, Huddersfield lost, but put up a great performance. And, and I love my time there. The fans were awesome. You know, like all running all soccer teams, particularly there, we had our challenges. You know, you got to fire the coach and, you know, buy and sell players. And, you know, be, people kind of get a little bit it's not an easy business yeah it, it's really if you, not. if you want to be popular you should never do that particularly yeah. the ceo's yeah. job somebody once said to me is like when the team's winning it's all down to the coach and when yeah. you're losing it's your fault yeah right? that's right so and that's that's probably true you yeah. know in the sense that that's the job you take on but we go back to that taking on big challenges and being prepared to do things that that that's why i love it because it's challenging right, right. The, you come in and there's a fire to fight you know whether it's a somebody shooting at you with a gun in the military or whether it's trying to deal with an issue that's happened overnight or happened in the team it's just challenging and that's that's the sort of thing i i really sort of gravitate to so let's let's get into huddlesville let's let's get into it tell, tell me about your time there yeah it was interesting it's you know it, it was interesting to go from pace to there uh, you know not directly but you know a little bit of time out but because i you know i went from a billion dollar IPO to a 10 million pound business. Okay, so that was the scale of, of the of Roughly, the okay. give or take at that time. So, so this so, is so, around so, 99, so 98, 99. So actually not a huge 99. investment for, for no, this Maverick guy. No, I no mean, not, not wow. huge, but you know, I mean, that's a certain amount to buy the club, but then you're buying players, yeah, right? Yeah, so that's yeah, where yeah, the yeah. real money is. But it was, it wasn't a huge business. And I, and I think that that's kind of my point about some of these businesses, you can, and it was an existing business. So unlike what we're doing here in Nashville, it wasn't building everything. Most of it existed. We were finishing building a new stadium. So so we took on that project in in construction, finished that project, 
you know, regurgitated the team, brought in Steve Bruce as the, mm-hmm. the new coach way mm-hmm. back then in 99. Um, and so really, you know, taking the thing forward in lots of areas. But, you know, as always, you everybody in that league is the hardest league in the world, I think, oh. the championship. Oh, You're wow. trying, everybody is trying to get to the Holy Grail, yeah. right? And, and, you know, you have kind of two... Very physical play. Very physical, a lot of games, um, a lot of competition. And I loved it, you know. I mean, once I got past the, what the hell am I doing, yeah. you know, I really loved it and, and started to understand, learned a lot of things, just like I said in the military, things that I draw on now, you know, today, that were in a difficult environment there. I think like, oh, you know, I mean, I've seen more player deals probably right. than I care to remember. But, you know, everyone thinks you come from Liverpool, you come to Nashville, like, you know, it's a bit different, you know, 50 million here and, you know, 50 grand here type thing or, or what have you. It's it's the same. It's the same, just like anything. It's the yeah. same. It's just scale. Right. And in Huddersfield back then, it was, you know, half a million, a million. It's, so it was similar to where we're headed here. And, right. And... And it was, it, when I say I didn't know, you know, it, learning what I was doing, it, I knew what I was doing. I knew how to run the business of the club. It was about finding value. And, and only over time do you really realize how to find value in soccer. Yeah. You know, it's not easy. And it's changed as well over that landscape. If you go back to 99, 2000, you fast forward 20 years, you know, the way people recruit players, the way value is determined much more analytical, much more science, much more data. <laughs> Pretty much then, it, you were at the behest of agents and and you were just horse trading. Yeah, really. I yeah. mean, everyone was. It was not like one team were you know, right. better than there another. There were no advantages. No. This was, that, that was just the state of the game. And, um, and interestingly, about two, three years in, um, one of the things that myself and, and the owner spotted was, um, was that it was... Roundabout, sort of dot com had happened. Digital was starting to rear its head, and what we started to see was that whilst the Premier League clubs were doing all these big deals with the big media companies, nobody was really interested in the in the football league. And what I started to realise from just being inquisitive and those types of things was that actually the collective value of all of the teams was almost bigger than the Premier League because there was more of them. 72 teams mm-hmm. in the Football League, not the Premier League, 72 teams yeah. in the Football League, all in pretty much every town and city around the country. And when you looked at, let's say, their website and you looked at a piece of real estate on the website for a, ba- a banner ad, you know, what's the collective value to a brand to be on all of those at the same time, on all of the websites, in all of the teams? And so we wrote a business plan and we took it to the league and we took it to a, an investor, which was a company called NTL, and um, managed to get them to put up £250 million pounds of investment, managed to get the Football League en masse to vote, to, to basically collectively put those, um, those rights together in wow. this company. And I was asked to go run the company. So wow. that was my transition, sort of not out of soccer, but out of a club. I, I would have been conflicted being in one yeah, of, of the teams. Of course, of course, of course. So, so what, I wrote. What was the name of that? Uh, it was at the time. It was called Premium TV. It later merged with uh, a company called Inform. Was called Perform, and is now part of the Zone. 
Really? Yeah. So get out of so here. So that's the journey, right? So that that I mean, I'm I'm not Holy involved now, yeah, obviously, no, 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 but but, but yeah, yeah. So so the zone is owned. I, I I don't know this for sure. It, it's definitely part of it. I don't know whether it's the zone owns perform or perform owns the yeah, zone, but yeah, one yeah. of the or the same shareholders. But but yeah, I mean, just a weird that's transition crazy. through. And you know, in 2001, which is when I went. Uh, you know, when we launched the platform, we had we were we had five thousand uh, yeah we had five thousand registered users in two thousand on a on a streaming platform for soccer, which was doesn't no, sound the, like the, anything oh, now. No, but that's but in those days it was like, in two thousand, and so it was a crazy time, and um, and you know just yeah different, and you yeah. know and, how, and again going back sort of to my digital knowledge and technology and yeah. how to bring that to life so and you stuff. just kept that as a thread yeah like, i just really, started just... to understand how the stuff on the pitch you know you need the people who know how stuff on the of pitch works. that's always the case good coaches good backroom staff but but this was about how the business functioned that i'd seen and we'd seen with my you know my owner and um yeah incredible and you know the next part of the journey and so it goes yeah yeah wow so so how long did you stay at that company uh, this is awesome. not as long as I would have liked. So what happened was, so I basically was involved with my team in going around all of the individual clubs and doing those. It, there was some competition authority in the UK that determined that we had to essentially negotiate a deal with every club mm-hmm. to avoid competition yeah. rules. Yeah. So, so literally, it was. I mean, how many clubs know, now we're talking about? Seventy-two. 72. Okay. So, yeah. so. Pretty much when I say when people say to me, "Who do you know in football?" I, <laughs> at one point, I literally did know everybody. It felt like certainly all the owners. Um, so we did that, and you know, got the business going, built the platform, hired all the staff, you know, brought in the sponsors, set up the streaming, got every. I mean, we were running probably eighteen months, and the investor um, went into Chapter Eleven, it was a U.S. Oh. company. So we had this, I had this personal situation where I, I had to make a decision, which was, I felt that I was there on behalf of all the teams yeah, rather than the money, right. if you like. Right. And, and I just felt that, you know, I couldn't lead that organization if the, if the owners, not the owners, but, you know, the investor wasn't going to continue to keep its word. So, so I decided to, to resign on the principle of that yeah um and keep those relationships in yeah time. and keep those relationships and you know I, I didn't want to i didn't want to promise something that i couldn't deliver it was out of my control yeah, and therefore right. you know it didn't feel right and and the business got through it and the business survived as i said it survived some of my team who were there who was still the guy one of my one of my initial hires a guy called oliver slipper who's an awesome guy uh is still on the board there, wow. like the zone perform, wow. and he's a great, great guy, and, and and love what he did, you know. Yeah. So he stuck out. But for me, I felt very invested in the relationships in soccer, and therefore stepped down. And um, but I've always had this thing of, you know, I, of course it was disappointing, but why dwell on disappointment? You know, what are you going to achieve from that? You sort of beat yourself up feel you know feel sort of bad about all these things and so I kind of thought about it looked at and I thought you know what I'm gonna go back east because I feel like this connection to that part of the world yeah 
and I went and got involved in a business um, called um, Total Sports Asia with a buddy of mine, um, which was incredible. So we, we, it was a very small, at the time, sports marketing agency, uh, mostly surviving on buying TV rights okay, from some markets buying, and reselling, reselling in Asia. Okay, yeah. And we built it out over four or five years. We had uh, six offices in Asia, over 100 staff, uh, WWE was our major client. We, okay. we would we would resell WWE across okay. Asia, um, you know, all sorts of different random sports, badminton and hockey and rugby and you know, not so, some soccer. We had South American soccer, Copa America. What was the number one sport that that like? Not soccer. In, 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 soccer. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. I mean, it's everywhere, okay. right? Okay. You know, and and. It was great. I mean, we own the rights to Asia for the U.S. Open tennis. Wow. So, you know, remember coming for to... Asia? Yeah, for the, for the whole of Asia. So wow. I remember coming to the USTA, Flushing Meadows there, and, you know, we negotiated this deal to take the rights for three or four years and, you know, had to put our real, you know, real money on the table, a guarantee, and then go see if we could find people to buy that. It was hugely successful, and, and we did that you know, grew the business, like just had the best time. And, and I lived in Malaysia at the time. I, I kind of went around. We opened office in Japan, in Tokyo, Shanghai, Mumbai, Dubai, anything with an eye. Um, <laughs> just like look on the map, let's open one there. You know? But really just, you know, Bangkok, started building out these businesses. And, and we built it organically where, you know, we'd go try and noise up some business and develop some business in a market. And then we'd, you know, open an office there to support it rather than taking a punt on people and infrastructure. And um, and it was great. You know, we had such a great time. Again, entrepreneurial, yeah. fast moving, doing stuff, tours for big teams, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. Um, and it was great. You know, we, we, we flying by the seat of our pants sometimes, taking risks, you know, building stuff and, and, and put like, putting all our money on the table for the US Open tennis. And and interestingly, probably about two years before the Chinese players really started it, which was a big win for us. Japanese player, Indian player came. So it was a great play for us. Probably not that much science involved, um, but a great outcome. And and about five years in, you know, my sort of nature and ambition was let's like turbocharge this thing. Let's go raise some money. Let's Let's open 20 offices uh -huh. and then probably IMG or somebody will come by us. And they were already kind of circling. And my business partner was a bit less kind of out there than myself and wanted to kind of, you know, not go too far in that yeah. direction. So I just said, look, you know, if, if I can't, if we don't want to go in that direction, I need to go in another direction. And I, so I left and... I had this crazy idea about building a, um, a TV channel. So we're not like, so, so we're in the sort of IPTV uh -huh. advent of that. Uh -huh. So I had this idea about well, around what year is this now? This is uh, 2006. Okay. Okay. So I'm thinking maybe start an IPTV channel where we go and buy up all the rights, probably in Asia to all the sports that nobody's interested in. Yep. So, you know, you know, a lot of, a lot of, <laughs> Viewers and listeners will think, you know, American football, not a thing really yeah. in Asia. No. I mean, some markets, and but mostly expats, right? So 
so the NFL probably gets, you know, who knows, right, what it is today. But way back then, we're probably getting very little or nothing. Yeah. So why wouldn't we go see what deals we could do and create some kind of subscription service for unique niche markets? So I wrote this business plan, put it all together, and um, and went to uh, came to New York to meet with Morgan Stanley and a couple of other people and doing my little kind of show. Yeah, road show. And um, right in the same visit, I get this phone call from somebody who says, hey, listen, how, how would you be interested in, in the Liverpool job? And he's, what do you mean the Liverpool job? Like, who is, who is the person calling so the you? Guy is, the guy is, a, funnily enough, the guy is the guy who, who's just a friend of mine who's very networked in sport, uh-huh. but is actually was the chairman of Perform The Zone. Okay. Ultimately. Okay. But, but we've been friends for many, many years. And he's like, there's a guy out there kind of hiring for this. And like, I've told him like, you're the guy, like this is your team. You're, you're, he said, and it was such a mess at the time, the team, you know, Liverpool. And I was like, yeah, that's not for me. Anyway, one thing led to another and I ended up in a room with Tom Hicks and George Dillette, the two yeah. new American owners. Right. And long story short, end up like calling my dad and saying, uh, I have some news, you know, he's like, <laughs> well, what is it? Like, it's like, you're not ill, are you? You know, yeah, yeah, or, yeah. You know. I was like, now I'm coming back home. And he's like, oh, okay, cool. How long are you staying for? I was like, oh, quite a while. I think he thought I was like coming for a visit, you know? I was like, yeah, I've, I've just been given a job at Liverpool. And he's like, doing what? You know, like, a no, jo- no a confidence. Job. Right? A job, yeah. And, and, and that, that's honestly how it happened. It was kind of like all fast I kind of packed my stuff up in Malaysia in three or four weeks. And and it was like moving to a foreign country. I had no bank account, no house, no car. Not, I mean, I was like signing a player now. I literally parachuted back into Liverpool and you know, landed in this thing that I'd been what time, what, time, what time of year was it? So it was July of... Uh, 2007. So you had so it's a in month. the off season, yeah. Yeah, but you so had the a first month. game, if I remember rightly, was the 9th of August yeah. against Chelsea at Anfield. <laughs> Just a little game, ridiculous. Yeah. Like and and there was some really weird stuff that went on, particularly in that first period. So like, I arrive on like a Wednesday, sort my personal life out, you know, like somewhere to live, that sort of thing, which the club helped me with, and then. I went into the office on Friday or whatever, and the club sort of administrator said to me, oh, you know, here's your pass. This will get you in the building, and here's your keys, and this is your parking space. So, oh, thanks very much, you know. And I do my, Anyway, there's no game for a couple of weeks, so I wake up on the Saturday morning in this brand-new apartment I've moved into. Sorry, Sunday morning. I'd been out with my brothers the night before, or my cousin the night before, and I wake up and I suddenly think, what am I going to do? It's Sunday, right? And then my parents were out of town. I was like, I have the keys to Anfield. <laughs> <laughs> so like, who gets, so, so I call my two of my buddies and I'm like, let's get a ball and go to Anfield. I, like I've got the keys, right? right? So we go and we're like taking shots at each other on the pitch at Anfield into the cop at like nine o'clock on a Sunday morning. There's nobody there. Until some like security yeah. guy comes and throws us off because he's no clue who I am right, right, or, right. and doesn't care anyway. Yeah. But it was just surreal, you know. It was like I mean that 
kind of wears off over a 10 year period. Yeah, but, but for the first weekend, oh, come on. So great. You know, it was like, <laughs> you know, somebody once said to me, it must have been like your dream job, but I never dreamt of having it. But, you know, somebody yeah. who grew up in the city, support the team my whole life, been to all these crazy big games, that, that moment. And then the other thing was that the car, I go to the first game at the stadium, you know, in the job. And I drive in and they park me in, and I hadn't even looked at the car parking pass. And when I was a kid growing up, um, the, 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 the parking spaces were numbered one to 12 in the main stand. And the players used to park there. They didn't have squad numbers in those days, but the goalkeeper would park in one. Got the it. left back would park yeah. into it. Yeah. yeah, it was positional, yeah. And, and my you know, two heroes growing up there would have been Kevin Keegan and then replaced when he was sold to Hamburg by Kenny Dalglish and would park in Bay 7. And I had Bay 7. So it's like, I'm like, there must be a mistake here. I feel it. But they don't, the players park on the other side of the stadium now. But I, I, I was just, oh my God, like I'm, I'm in the spot. You know, I'm in Kenny's place. And, you know, Kenny became and is a friend, a close friend now. Yeah. But I remember saying it to him and he just looked at me as if I was an idiot. You're right. <laughs> but I was like, I'm sure I've got a photo of me trying to get an autograph off you in like 1979 or something. Wow. And what, you know, just a bizarre set of circumstances. And, you know, every day I'd drive in there because our offices were based in the stadium in those days, not now. And I'd drive through the Shankly gates and park in the spot. And it was just surreal. Like for a boy who grew up a stone throw, literally from the stadium. It was I mean, incredible. yeah, that, that is... All right, I got. I mean, I've I've known you for a while now, and I've known I've known the story, but I didn't know some of those little details, yeah. and uh, I just I I can't even imagine. Um, so, okay, so you're at this club, just one of the biggest clubs in the world, no big deal. Uh, what's going on at the club? You said that you said the club was a mess. Like get, two things or, really happened. That yeah, there were two more. really. The, the first thing I would say is that, and one of the reasons I went from a challenge, you know, I would talk about this challenge point of view. Um, one of the reasons I went was being in the industry, i.e. in the sports industry, in the sports marketing industry immediately prior, I could see that Liverpool was a long way behind its biggest competitor, uh, Manchester United. You're you buying know, media, you, you're, yeah, you're, you're I mean, negotiating these deals. Sponsors, so you, all that stuff. Liverpool it. was, you know, merchandising, like Manchester United had, become the dominant team in the league and had really maximised the commercial opportunity for that. And, and, you know, done a really good job of yeah. it and, and to be, you know, applauded for it. Liverpool had, I think, to be fair to the people that had come before me, there was that thing of remaining traditional. And it's kind of like what I said earlier, which is you've got, it's a very fine line. You've got to maintain a tradition, but you've also got to move forward. Yeah. And that's a challenge and continues to be a challenge for Liverpool always. But it really lost, you know, and it lost a lot of ground. So that was the biggest challenge and the, one of the big reasons I wanted to go there. And, um, and we made a lot of ground on that very early. But then around the same time, the two owners ended up in this huge very public spat like didn't get on with each other mm -hmm. started to you know put a lot of debt on the club all this so it was hugely public I mean it was in every newspaper in the world it was in the high court of London and eventually myself and two other directors ended up um, 
you know, being told by the bank, by the creditors, to sell the club from from, from under the under owners. Them, from under them, wow. And they were obviously trying hard not to let that happen. So it was pretty frosty and difficult and challenging and all of those things. And eventually we sold it to Fenway Sports Group, mm-hmm. who are the current owners. Uh, myself and my fellow directors got sued for a billion dollars each, which was... Uh, interesting um i don't know that there's insurance to cover yeah a billion directors and officers insurance <laughs> yeah i don't think, I think there's a, a limitation at some point <laughs> but that was that was tough um on many levels but you know and that ran on for like two two and a half years uh, or something and uh, you know but but ultimately i think you know the the club then became owned by family sports group who were awesome owners and, and as a supporter never mind somebody who worked with them great people they know what good looks like. You look at what they've done with the Red Sox, you know, what they're doing now at Liverpool or done at Liverpool. Incredible. And so that was great for me. There was mm. a point right around the sale where I thought, you know, I've just been in, spent like a month in court. I've still got a billion dollar lawsuit hanging over your head. You've got all these things going on. You're thinking, is it really is it worth, worth it? it? Right. But it's Liverpool Football Club, right? Yeah. It's my team. You know, it's my family live in the city, my kids support, you know, all of that. So I was like, hey, of course it's worth it, right? And now we have, I hope, we have good people who own it and they proved to be. But there was, you know, even for a long time, I think probably until the last couple of years, there was a, the jury was out with a lot of supporters about whether they was the right, not with me. I seen very early that these were the right people and they had a very long game. You know, they had a real plan and they're great people to work with and, and very honest. But from an outside, you know, from the outside, the supporters were always very skeptical because of what had happened pre- previously. And um, I had the best seven years in that period ever. You know, I mean, lots of challenges, lots of difficult days. But you shouldn't do the job if, if you're not expecting that, as yeah. I've said. But lot, lots of amazing days. You know, as a soccer fan, you know, I don't know, being on the plane to go to the final, being on the pitch when you win, you know, all those types of things yeah. that I didn't laud in. You know, I, I, I've always felt, and I, same here, I always feel like you should know your place in those type of organizations. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to think, people to think I think I'm a player or the coach right. or, yeah. you know, try to be famous or any of those types of things. I think that's for certain types of business, not for me. But I think you need to know when you need to step up, when you need to step in. You can't and, be absent. Yeah, and <laughs> and you know, it, it, I just had some of the greatest experiences of my life uh, with some of the greatest people in my life. From yeah. you know, worked with Benitez, you know, um, Kenny Dalglish, Brendan Rodgers, Jurgen Klopp, Steven Gerrard. So it goes. You know, I Luis mean, icons, Suarez. Icons, they, you know, icons, real icons, global yeah. football icons and and. Had the best times and tough times, you know, and 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 I kind of like that mix. I remember doing an interview in the week I was leaving, and saying, you know, like I wouldn't change anything, even the really, even the stuff in the court, because it taught me things. I saw a different side of things, you know. I I would change it for the club in the sense that the club should never have been dragged through that. Yeah. But but for me personally, I don't regret a single day, and I wouldn't change a single day. What can you say, because we're, we're going to turn the corner and get to Nashville now, but what can you say about what it was like, and this, this feels like a shallow question, but what can you say about what it was like 
to be the chief executive of one of the biggest clubs in arguably the biggest professional league and the biggest sport in the world, right? That congratulations, won the Champions League last year against my club. We'll see you again in the future. But I mean, just, just, yeah. just what, you know, that, you know, if, you, if you're doing a company and you do a billion dollar IPO, that's really cool, right? Yeah. You know, but there are some things that carry a level of status yeah. with them uh, and, re- and with that status, then responsibility, right? Uh, and, you know, look, it's not quite the same thing as being a president of one of the, you know, seven or ten biggest countries in the world, but it's in that universe, right? I mean, like, yeah, I, like I, I, do you know, I never, I'm not trying to be funny sure, about this, no, but I, know. I mean, I, there's supporters around the world for yeah. Liverpool, right? I mean, you know, this, the responsibility is massive, massive. I never, massive. I never really, I think when I first took the role as CEO, I don't think I ever. Re- I don't think initially I grasped the size of it. You know, not not like in how I did my job, but just I didn't internalize this. Oh, you know, I'm now the CEO of one of the biggest clubs. Yeah. And there was a really good guy who a lot of people would know was the CEO of Manchester United for many years. A guy called David Gill. So in the time that Sir Alex Ferguson was was the manager or coach of United, David was the CEO for I think I'm going to say 11 years or mm. something. And I was at a, an event or a dinner, or I think was maybe playing golf with him not long after it, after I took the role. And he said to me, you, know, you, you really need to think about like how big this is. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, there's probably only about eight teams in the world that get anywhere close to the size of Liverpool. So, you know, and we all know who they yeah, are. Yeah, right. Uh, I don't want to say them because yeah, I'll, no, I'll, you're, you're, I'll right. miss somebody out and somebody will complain Absolutely. you didn't put us in. But, yes. But, you know, there are maybe not even that many, but there are a handful of teams that are truly globally huge. Yeah, that's right. And have the sort of support that, that Liverpool has. And he said, and then think about how often those teams change their CEO, right? So you're talking about a very small pool of people who ever get those jobs. At which point I thought, oh, my God, what have I done? <laughs> <laughs> but, but that was when I really started to think of it like that. And, and in terms of the responsibility, I always had this view. It was, like, um, it was like a Fabergé egg. It was like somebody presenting it to you and saying, I need you to look after that for me. But mm-hmm. now I need you to go climb up that ladder and do it. And it was like carrying it around in your pocket the whole time. It was like you were always... There's lots of exciting stuff and lots of really cool experiences and, you know, dealing with lots of money, right? I mean, buying and selling players for tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of, of pounds. But at the same time, always knowing that you were the, you know, the head of responsibility for protecting, you know, the, the crown jewels, if mm-hmm. you like. And that was that was the biggest weight I always felt. And, and more so because it's, I'm from the city. I think I got some, one of our supporters groups I, I spoke to after I left. And I mean, they gave me a really hard time when I was there. And when I spoke to them, I, you know, and that, that's fine. It goes yeah, with the sure. job. And some of it would have been justified at times. But, but one of them said to me, you know, we gave you a harder time because you're one of us because yeah. we can. Yeah. And I accept that. Right, and, and, right, and I accepted right. that when I took it on. And for that reason, you know, every painful day really hurt. Because if I felt I'd done something wrong, I felt like I'd done it wrong to my team. Mm. And if I felt, you know, we won, or we, I, I felt like, yeah, you know, yeah. 
but but I wouldn't I didn't want to go out and say I feel right so it was it was hard and it was you know I, I was talking to somebody this morning about the media attention in English soccer I mean there is no day out there is no day off there is no where to hide it is what the paparazzi covers it, for, it's for a long thing. time i lived when i first moved back there i lived in the city center and i lived in an apartment right downtown so it'd be like living in the gulch in nashville mm-hmm. and i literally couldn't go if i went to a grocery store in my building at the, on the ground floor to go on a sunday morning to go buy something for breakfast i'd have a supporter come up and say well you know I, what's going on with this player or what's going or if I went out for a beer and you had one beer too many, I'd have somebody some take a photo. Yeah. And so you just have to accept that that's part of the life and therefore you have to change your life. Yeah. So you have to change where you go, what you do, who you do, who it, you with. do it with. And at first it feels quite intrusive, but again, it's just part it's of it. It's the job. Yeah. yeah, and it comes with it. And, you know, people are always going to be critical because... There's a little bit of jealousy from some quarters, you sure, know, and particularly sure. with social media. Sure. So you get, you know, when it's interesting having gone through it. When you read things about celebrities, and I, I don't class, didn't class myself, and don't class myself as a celebrity, but when you read about a celebrity who says, oh, "I never read the, the press," that's exactly what what you do is never read the press. Or so, because if you do, one day you'll feel like you're a superhero, and the next day you'll feel like you're in the toilet. You yeah. know? So just I just kept away from it, and I just. You know, you have to believe in what you're doing. You have to believe in yourself. You have to have a plan. And you have to work through that plan with all of the team and the people. And I had the most awesome team at Liverpool. Like, really awesome. Un- unbelievable staff. And so we just ploughed through it. And we, you know, I, I went there. We transformed it commercially. I mean, it competes right up there with the best of them now uh, commercially. You know, it's caught up, which yeah, was a long yeah. way to catch up. We re- you know, rebuilt the stadium, so it's a world-class venue now. Uh, we brought in a world-class coach, a couple of coaches in my in my last couple of few years there in Brendan, and you know we'd had Kenny, which was brilliant. You know they they've got I think the best coach possible in the world right now for them in Jurgen Klopp, and started to assemble a team. You know that starting eleven in the Champions League, I think there was six or seven that we brought while I was there. So yeah. it, so I felt yeah I felt like I achieved a lot in my time there. I felt like most importantly I left it in way better shape than when I started. And I've got all That's those demonstrably true. All those memories yeah. are, are for me forever, right? Yeah. So. so you can't really top that, so you decide to take a gig in Nashville, <laughs> Tennessee. Had you even been to Nashville before? No. No, never been to Nashville. <laughs> I thought I was joining a band. I didn't realize it was a soccer team. Yeah. Kind of this, you know, a pr- budding guitarist. No, I, um, somebody reached out to me, similarly to the Liverpool thing, uh, uh, like a headhunter guy who I've known for a long time, who used to work in the game, in the soccer game. And he, he was like, listen, I know you don't... I'd said to him, look, I, I'm, I left Liverpool after 10 years. It was my own choice. I, had, I think I had 18 months left on my contract when I made the decision. 10 years yeah right? another 10 another 10 right 10. um and there's something really meaningful about that i mean i know yeah. it's meaningful to you but and I it's think not also, it's not conscious you know i don't but but it's so hard to do anything meaningful yeah in less than 10 years let's just say yeah, it. absolutely really, to absolutely. do something significant but i also think that you reach a point where and this is what i felt so it was around christmas time 
uh, which is really hectic time in English soccer, like like games every two or three days. Yeah. So no no Christmas. You just about get you know your turkey lunch in on Christmas Day, and then you've a game the next day and a game a couple of days later. So really in the thick of it, and I think we were travelling back from Newcastle or somewhere. And I got home and I was tired and and I was just like, I think I'm done. Mm. I'm not done with Liverpool because it will always be my team. I love it. You know, went to Madrid recently for the final, went last year. Like, I'm just done. I like, I feel like everything I do from here on here will be a repetition. Sign another player, sell another player, develop another part of the stadium, whatever. You know, (laughs) fire the manager and hire another one, you know wasn't really looking forward to ever having to fire Jürgen. He's much bigger than most of them. <laughs> um, and hopefully that never happens because he's awesome. But, um, but, but just felt like repetition, right? And that's not me, like not challenging either. And, and somebody, when you feel like that in that club, in that city, you, you, somebody else deserves to pick up the baton at mm. that point. And that's how I felt. And I went and spoke to the owners and you know, they obviously wanted me to stay and... I said, you know, I'm I'm done, but I'm telling you, 18 months out because I want to be true to what we need to achieve. You know, find the right person, sure. make the journey, and and so that's what we did. And I walked away and kind of said, well, okay, that's it. I'm done with running soccer teams because where, where do you go from Liverpool, right? Yeah, I don't. I don't you, you're not going to go to another Premier League. Team yeah, and I was approached by some of the big big teams. Yeah, uh, not not English teams, but but, but yeah, but there's, overseas. There's a, there's a couple and overseas, like, right? And I was like. No, why? Why would I do that? Right. What, there's nothing to prove there. Don't, I'm not trying to prove anything myself, but I, but I don't think I can achieve something there where people will go, oh, you know, that's really yeah. cool because yeah. you've kind of already done it. So took a bit of time out, invested in some businesses which had sort of been circling on, um, got involved in that. Chairman of two businesses, yeah. bit of non-exec work. Very happy yeah. spending a little bit more time. I have a house in Spain. I'm out there. I'm thinking like. Now I've found my new space. It's ah. not very challenging, all good, you know, my Zen moments. And then I get this phone call and, you know, what do you think about MLS and what do you think about Nashville? You know, and, I, and honestly, my answer was like, I've never thought about it either, really. You know, I mean, and I knew a lot about MLS. I'd watched it, I'd watched something on TV. Steven Gerrard had come here whilst I was still at Liverpool and had some conversations with him and his agent when he was going and, Subsequently, when he come back, brought him back into the academy. So I kind of had asked him, and you know, it was genuinely. And I could see it growing. Watch it's on TV, you know, in the UK. I'd watch a few games, and I was like, I, I don't really think I want to go to another team. And the guy involved, a guy called Paul Nolan, said to me, "You got to meet this this guy mm-hmm. who's John Ingram." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Why?" And he's like, "You just got to meet it." And I came to Nashville had a kind of interview here um, I don't think I met you that time no, right? no, no. That, but but I, I came into town thinking you know, it's a free trip to, to Nashville yeah, sure. right? I've never been there before right. and I don't want to be disrespectful you know, to that I mean I was genuinely coming but in but you don't have anything else going yeah, on but right I'm thinking like, like I'm thinking chilling. like you know what what is this you know I'm inquisitive if, if any and I thought and he just like unveiled one of the most honest visions of of what you guys and him and everyone else involved were trying to achieve and it wasn't about you know because i was you know i'd had a brief you know there's this guy this family you know lots of money sure, sure, sure. And, 
and I'm thinking but like... But that never describes a person. No, and, right, but right? sometimes sometimes those types of people, a lot of times actually, some of those people are quite affected by how much money they have. Yeah, sure, sure. Not, not to humble. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I happened across this guy who, you know, obviously was the first person I met in John and, and it's like, wow, not only is he a great guy, very honest, very humble, very committed, but the vision for the city and the team and where you guys are going and, and, and what I loved as well was you know, wanted to give credit to everyone else that had come before mm -hmm, him, mm -hmm. you know, yourself and Chris and Jonesy and David and all these people and Bill and Will. And so there's this whole, and it's almost like talked as much about all these other people who'd made a contribution. Yeah. And I love that, you know, that, that really got me. It was like, I like this guy. Yeah. And then he's like, I was here for a couple of days and we went to, um, he said, you've got to come back. So I had an interview and I, I'm sure they spoke to some other people at yeah. that time. And he asked me to come back. And when I came back, he said, oh, I want to take you to a hockey game. I was like, okay. <laughs> and I'd been to a hockey game before. Yeah, you played so Boston, of course. Yeah, so yeah. Boston, uh, you know, the Bruins, but also George Gillette owned the Canadians. Ah, at yeah, so I'd yeah, been yeah. to a game okay. there. Okay. So I knew kind of the drill and how hockey was and I, but we're coming down Broadway in his yeah. car. It's game two in the playoffs 2018. Oh, yeah. That was nuts. And it was like, I was like, what is it? And he's like, you know, there's like 20,000 people on Broadway or whatever. Just, just and, outside And 20,000 people inside. in it. And they're all smashing some car. Uh -huh. That kind of reminded me of home a little bit. But, <laughs> but, 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 it, but it, there's this like crazy thing going on. And he said, I just want to put this in perspective. Like 20 years ago, people couldn't even spell hockey in Nashville. <laughs> And he was so right, you yeah. know, and then, you know, over time, I've heard all the stories about how the Preds grew. And then, you know, we did some other stuff and I met some other people and, and I, I was, you know, we sat down, essentially we made a deal. I agreed I was going to do, he kept saying to me, you do know this is Nashville, right? You know, it's like, you know, it's not the Premier League, you know, like this is how much we pay for play. I mean, really? And, yeah. and, and I love that because I, yeah. I said, look, for me, it's not about, you know, how big the team is, how many, it's about the opportunity that we can create here, all of us together, you know, the city, the owners, the supporters, you know, this, you know, that, that's the, that's what really turns me on in this opportunity and who gets to build a whole team in any sport Yeah. from nothing. I mean, there aren't many right. franchises in sports anywhere in the world that come up. And so not, not in the top flight. No. Right. And I think some people, even in Nashville today, perhaps underestimate just how big a deal this Correct. is, you yes. know, because in however many years that door will close just like football and, and we're in, yeah, right. And we right. will be in and that's we will right. have this amazing opportunity. And, and so I got, I, we made a deal and I get on the plane to go, well, no, I go, I go to the airport and John took me to the airport, dropped me off. You know, I was, I was, this is great. And, and then suddenly I like, uh, Karen calls me and my partner she's like uh, so how's it gone <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah um, she's like I was like it was awesome you know like just so good and you know first Nashville's visit great. Nashville's great and she's like well you know you should come back we should think about it it's like well there's the thing <laughs> I've kind of already said we're gonna go and I'm gonna join in a month's time so that honestly so very lucky to have her. Yeah, that's what I'm very she's, lucky. She's, yeah. she's wonderful and yeah. delightful. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I went home and kind of celebrated whilst packing. <laughs> Once um, again, and, here you and, go. And, you know, and, and amazing. 
sometimes something just feels right. And something, you know, I said that thing about jumping in with both feet. I, I never seen, you know, the decision, and I was very, very fortunate that they, you know, John and, and the team and everyone chose me. But it, it wasn't much to consider for me. It just there's a feeling, and mm-hmm. maybe everybody doesn't have that that way. But and I knew that Karen felt that as well. That if I really felt it, she would kind of go along with it. And yeah. I mean, her and Jasmine got on a plane having never been to Nashville and moved their whole life here. It's amazing. Because we didn't have time between then and when they moved because Jasmine was in school. So she had to finish, and she finished the school year in July, something like July 27th in UK. And the summer, the term started here on August 15th. So she literally moved and went straight into school. But... Great decision, you know, not a single day of regret and absolutely loving Nashville and everything we're doing. Yeah, so how long have you been here now? A little over a year? Yeah, yeah, like I think coming up for 13, 14 months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. I remember I think the first time we really hung out was at the uh, ICC match at yep. Tottenham and, and City. It was yeah. the first time we I mean, really spent some I mean, time together. It's just gone like that. It has gone even the fast. Even the process that we're going through to launch the team, you'd have... Q1 next year, seven months away, not even seven months probably. And I remember arriving thinking, (laughs) I've 18 months to do this. And here we are like pushing water uphill to get ready all of a sudden, Uh, which is, again, is is great because, you know, we've hired, we have over 50 staff now. Yeah, I mean. New offices, uh, you know, stadium starting very soon, you know, demolition due to go on soon. you know, uh, academy in construction. Yeah. So, so lots going on. Players arriving, coaches arriving. I mean, there's you know, new news every week. Every now, week, right? every day almost yeah. it feels. And, and that's great. Yeah. You know, and as the year goes on and we go into 2020, you know, this thing will only get bigger and more fire and more excitement. And, um, and I'm really pleased for, for all of the people who were involved in bringing it to the table and and I love seeing the the excitement of the staff, and I also love you know in our USL games, you know like the other night you know going going to um, to Nissan and having a crowd in you know being on a winning streak yeah and, you know it's, it's it feels Building. like it, yeah but it also it feels like it feels like it, the supporters deserve it you know yeah. the fans deserve it yeah. because it because it's hard you know when you are a fan. You kind of know how tough those days are when it's raining and you're losing, or you, you know, you're on the road and it's tough, or you lose a player. You know, nobody feels it more than the supporters or the yeah. fans. It's like, you know, you're the guy who's put your money up. You know, it goes back to what I was saying earlier. That's right. The guy at the, you know, the, the guy who's got the least money mm-hmm. is still buying his ticket, and he's maybe got to get the bus to the game or walk or whatever he has to do, and using a much bigger part of his disposable income than I am. Right. Uh, I get him for free, actually, which is quite good. But, <laughs> but, but you know, but it's, but it's, but you have to, you know, as being having been a fan and yes. being that person yes. from a low-income family and finding my money to go to the games, I, yes. I know it. I know yes. how it feels. So I also feel really good for those people when when we do win. Right. You, know, you can't win all the time, no, but no, that's when we do game. and when we get that energy and when we get that opportunity, and MLS will be another level. It's so. going to be incredible. Well, this has been. Uh, an unbelievable pleasure for me to just learn so much more about you and I'm so grateful that you decided to come to Nashville and uh, be part of our family 
and uh, you know help us put this thing together and create it. So just thank you so much for doing it and for spending some time with me. I know you're so busy right now, so thank you for spending well, some time with me as well. Thanks for having me and um, you know picking a subject that I know something about. Yeah, you. <laughs> Until next time, peace. Thank you for tuning in to Marcus Whitney's Audio Universe.